Welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. <laughs> Hi. I don't know why. I was trying to... Well, in... We're you trying know, to mix, mix it, up it up a little. So you, yeah. this is live, people. Yeah, we're we giving it to can you. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My I uh, my parents called me the other day on speakerphone while they were out on the back porch. <laughs> and I said, hello. And they went, hello and welcome to misinformation. I was like, wow, I really got to change things up. <laughs> Too predictable. Because I say hello the exact same way regardless. Hello. Kind of like you're in a gulag. Yeah. <laughs> hello. Hello. So, um, so my topic today, uh-huh. I uh, was thinking back okay. to some of the books that I've read um, as a teen, as a as a lonely teen. No, that's not true at all. I had a lot of friends, a- um, but uh, I I took AP English, and one of the oh, things. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I was a very smart child um, <laughs> who matched her eyeshadow to her clothing every day. So it was also super cool. Um, we had to read Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, and the only thing I remembered from that in high school in high school it was AP English, wow. Julia. <laughs> um, and the only thing I remember from uh, that was in the Inferno. There was one guy who was trapped in ice with another guy, and he was gnawing on the skull of the first guy. And I thought, I wonder what that was about, and why that <laughs> has stuck with me. <laughs> For the past 20 years. Your teachers must be so proud. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. Um, that's <laughs> that, that was something that I... Then I went down a hole on the oh, internet. In, in our... Quick interjection. Huh. In Honors English in like 10th grade, we had to read um, Tale of Two Cities. Oh, yeah. And our teacher made us promise her that we would read it again when we turned 30. Oh, and my And we gosh. were all like, uh-huh. Yep, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Guess what? I have not read Tell It Two Cities oh, again. So. Girl, you're so bad. I know. Don't tell her. Uh, but um, yeah, shout out to Ms. Hughes from from Roy Hart Central School District who taught me uh, Dante's Inferno. So today- and obviously taught you very well. Oh yeah, taught me super well. Um, I remember like raising my hand and being like, he was literally like ang, 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 on his head and she was like, yes. And that's- <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I also remember asking the question after we had read Steinbeck's uh, Grapes of Wrath Mm -hmm. that at the end, if you recall, I hated that book, by the way, but at the end, if you recall, recall Rosa Sharon uh, like nourishes her, either her brother or her father with her breast milk, like she breastfeeds him and it's supposed to be an allegory. But I was like, um, excuse me. I raised my hand. I was like, couldn't they just get a cup? Like, couldn't they just get a cup? I feel like. There's some incestuous. Were they so poor? They didn't have a cup. <laughs> I mean, even just like cup your hands, like someone uh-huh. else. There were enough kids that you could be like, oh. Rosa Sharon, hold on. Here we go. I'm going to give this to dad. But anyway, <laughs> so I, <laughs> very, very controversial yeah. reading topics. And uh, yeah, well, right you know, Ms. Hughes was, she also took us to London. So that was another thing. 10 days in London. Um, but uh, I went down an internet hole and mm-hmm. I read uh, a, a good amount of Dante's Inferno. So my topic today is called Burn Baby Burn, Dante's Inferno. (laughs) 
I'm only going to talk about Inferno. There are three cantos yes. of the Divine Comedy. There's uh, Inferno, Hell, uh, Purgatorio, Purgatory, and Paradiso, Heaven. Uh, but we're going to talk about Inferno only partially because it would be three hours if I did <laughs> the whole thing. And also because Inferno is the most interesting. Yeah. Um, so... Just in general, the larger work, the Divine Comedy, or uh, the... La Comedia. La Comedia. Mm-hmm. The comedy, or uh, La Comedia del Vino. It's a long narrative poem that was begun by the poet Dante Alighieri around 1308 and completed the year before his death in 1320. It is widely considered to be... the 12 years to write this poem? Yeah, it's long. And also there's... Was he using a tablet? Yeah, he was... He was yeah, well, it's medieval. You know, they didn't have pen and paper. No, they absolutely did. Um no, it's there's a lot of complicated stuff in it. There's a lot of like um, contemporary political mm-hmm. things, and uh, there's a lot of references to science and astronomy and time and gravity. Like it's it's there's a lot to like glean out of it. Okay, and I'm gonna hit the high points because again, if I was really gonna go into all of the the deep depths, this would be a very long topic. So yeah, we could do this on an episode of. This the Sleep With Me podcast. Yes, the Sleep With Me podcast <laughs> will do a deep dive into the Divine Comedy. Um, the Divine Comedy is widely considered to be the seminal work of Italian literature and one of the greatest works of world literature. Um, the poem's imaginative vision of the afterlife reflected the medieval worldview as it had developed in the Western Church by the 14th century, and it helped establish the Tuscan language, which is what it's written in, as well as the standardized Italian language. Um, so here's a question. Why, Julia, is it called a comedy? Because uh, it wasn't a tragedy. That You know what? You're not wrong. Uh, he called the poem comedy, um, and the adjective divine was added later, actually, mm-hmm. in the 16th century, long after he died. Because poems in the ancient world were classified as high, which was associated with tragedy, or low, which were associated with comedy. And low poems had happy endings and were written in everyday languages, the vernacular, whereas high poems treated more serious matters and were written in an elevated style, usually in Latin. So Dante was one of the first in the Middle Ages to write of a serious subject, the redemption of humanity, in the low and vulgar Italian language, and not the Latin one might expect for such a serious Mm -hmm. topic. Um, so although the Divine Comedy is primarily a religious poem discussing sin, virtue, and theology, uh, Dante also discusses several elements of the science of his day, and this is what Ooh. just really makes it super interesting. Uh, the Purgatorio repeatedly refers to the implications of a spherical Earth, mm-hmm. uh, such as the different stars visible in the Southern Hemisphere, the altered position of the Sun, and the various time zones of the Earth. Oh, and, so TimeCon fourteen oh eight? Yes, was was hopping. Ho- oh my God! They were like, "Have you guys read this poem?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, for example, in the poem, at sunset in Purgatory, it is midnight at the Ebro, dawn in Jerusalem, and noon on the River Ganges. And this is mentioned in the in the poem. Um, Dante also travels through the center of the earth in the Inferno and comments on the resulting change in the direction of gravity in Canto 34. So he has a very sophisticated understanding of gravity for such a an early time period. Do we know more about Dante? Like, do we know anything about him? It wasn't just like, he was a guy who lived in Tuscany and he had a <laughs> poem. Like, do we know about him? He, um, he was the preeminent, like the foremost Italian poet of the late Middle Ages. Um, the the Divine Comedy is um, the most popular and the longest living of his works. Like, was it 
popular when he was alive. Yes. So that people huge. knew who he was. Absolutely. And he right. was uh, he was known often referred to as Il Somo Poeta, which means the supreme poet. Oh. And just Il Poeta, the poet. So he got to eat gelato for free oh wherever he Every went. Every day. So he, Petrarch, and Boccaccio are called the three fountains or the three crowns. So right. the, three, the three crown jewels of Italian literature. So yeah, if you have a trivia question and they're asking for an old Italian yep. uh, author, it's yeah. one of those three guys. You just got to know who's who. Absolutely. And there's a very, uh, a very common profile portrait uh, by Sandro Botticelli from 1495 of Alighieri. And this guy looks like like a real Ginzerone. Look at this. Look at his nose. You kidding oh. me? Look at this guy. Okay, so Lauren's showing me a picture. It's kind of like um, when you picture like Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. but like more exaggerated, his nose and his um, his chin. Yeah. And he has um, a laurel crown and he's wearing a red hooded yes. vestment. Yes. And uh, and like a white thing, but uh, he looks like my uh, my uncle Nino when he was young. <laughs> he looks he looks like my Nino. <laughs> so uh, so very Italian, um, but yeah, he was um, he was well known and was um, kind of ran in the same circles as major poets and philosophers and scientists mm-hmm. of the day. So he would have studied this stuff and that's why again it took him 12 years to write okay. this because he was doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of different people because he was really going to get like a realistic I- version a realistic representation of hell awesome. as he saw it awesome um so uh yeah a little earlier in the cantos he queries the existence of wind in the frozen inner circle of hell since it had no temperature differentials so he he's mentioning it in a casual conversational way um to get a sense of realism that's based in science which is really cool um inevitably given its setting obviously the paradiso discusses astronomy extensively but in the ptolemaic sense and the paradiso also discovers the discusses the importance of the experimental method in science Uh, A briefer example occurs in uh, Canto 15 of the Purgatorio, where Dante points out that both theory and experiment confirm that the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection. So he's talking about math. Other references to science in the Paradiso include descriptions of clockwork in Canto 24 and Thales' theorem about triangles in Canto 13. Somebody else has a theorem about triangles? I know. Oh, my gosh. That isn't Pythagoras? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, apparently Thales, uh, he was all about them. So much so that he's mentioned in uh, Paradiso. There you go. Uh, Galileo Galilei is known to have lectured on the Inferno. Yep. And it has been suggested that the poem may have influenced some of Galileo's own ideas regarding mechanics. Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, isn't that cool? So let's talk a little bit about the story. Essentially, the poet Dante travels through all three realms of the dead, led by the Roman poet Virgil through hell and then purgatory. And then Dante's ideal woman, Beatrice, guides him through heaven. So Beatrice, Virgil, Virgil, uh, a character based on real guy. Yep. Who's been dead for 2000 years. Yes. Takes him through hell and purgatory. Yes. Okay. And then he hands Dante off. He's like, this is as far as I can go. Here you go. There's Beatrice. Beatrice is like, hey, guy. Uh, She was a real person. She wasn't a famous person like Virgil. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a real person that Dante met and fell in love with when he was nine years old. 
Uh, he married another. Bellissima. I know. He married another thanks to an arranged marriage systems of the time, but he nursed his unrequited love through poetry the rest of his life. So Beatrice is featured obviously very heavily in Paradiso, but he wrote poems about mm-hmm. her and all this stuff. He never wrote a poem about his real his wife. His real wife? Yeah. Oof. Which I'm sure did not make her super happy given that she provided him with three children. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. All let's right. Get, let's get to some hellfire. You ready? Let's go to hell. Let's go to hell. <laughs> Maybe we should read in this. Let's go to hell. <laughs> um, the poem begins on the night before Good Friday in the year 1300. Monday Thursday. Huh? Monday Thursday. Monday Thursday. Yes, exactly. Uh, in the year 1300, when Dante was about 35 years old. He's lost in a dark wood where he is accosted by beasts, a lion, a leopard, and a she-wolf. Um, each of these beasts represented the three different types of sin that are reflected in the subsequent journey. The self-indulgent, the violent, and the malicious. Uh, the poet Virgil rescues him and proceeds to guide Dante through the nine circles of hell. Uh, the circles are concentric, representing a gradual increase in wickedness and culminating at the center of the earth where Satan is held in bondage. To the outside, while like bigger in... Um, uh, circumference diameter circumference sure one of those yeah is actually the it gets worse as you go in yes it gets worse as you go inward because and so the i and this is cool because i didn't know this but um the idea is that okay you're imagining earth as a sphere during um when Satan was thrown out of heaven because he was once an angel. Mm-hmm. He was cast out of heaven. Mm-hmm. And what he did was, and this is according to Dante, he fell to the earth and the earth opened up and swallowed him and he like fell down into the center of the earth. And that is what created the rings. Okay. And then on the other side of the earth, the displaced like matter mm-hmm. from the earth shot outwards and created a mountain. And that is purgatory. Huh, okay. So you have to climb purgatory. You have to go through all the purgatory until you get to the top. And then an angel swoops by and is like, time to go to heaven. And then you go up to heaven. Huh. Yeah. Not necessarily biblical, but <laughs> it's a cool, it's a cool idea that Dante kind of created as mm-hmm. like, you know, you go down to the depths of hell and then you are move up mm-hmm. through the mountain of purgatory and then go up to heaven. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, the sinners of each circle are punished for eternity in a fashion fitting their crimes. Uh, each punishment is known as a contrapasso, which is a symbolic instance of poetic justice. Um, and there will be plenty of examples of this. So <clears throat> they get to the vestibule of hell. Welcome. R- welcome. The vestibule of hell. Hang your coat here. Yes, because you will not be able to carry it in. Uh, Virgil and Dante enter through a gate which bears the inscription Lasciate ogni speranza voi che entrate, which most often is translated is Abandon all hope ye who enter here. <laughs> is that where that came from? Yeah, that is where that came from. Wow. Uh, my coworker George, as I've mentioned before, uh, he has that emblazoned above his office. So that's cool. Not I think he thinks it's on his neck. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dante and his guide hear the anguished screams of the uncommitted. These are the souls of people who in life took no sides, the opportunists who were for neither good nor evil, but instead were merely concerned with themselves. Uh, mixed with them are outcasts who took no sides in the rebellion of angels, which is when Satan was mm-hmm. cast into the depths. Uh, these souls are forever unclassified. They are neither in hell nor out of it, but reside on the shores of the Acheron. 
Naked and futile, they race around through the mist in eternal pursuit of an elusive wavering banner, which is symbolic of their pursuit of ever-shifting self-interest. Again, going back to that poetic justice. Uh, They are relentlessly chased by swarms of wasps and hornets, which continually sting them. Loathsome maggots and worms at the sinner's feet drink the putrid mixture of blood, pus, and tears that flows down their bodies. Oh, yeah. This is just the vestibule? This is just the vestibule. Ugh. Yeah. It gets bad. Um, This symbolizes the sting of their guilty conscience and the repugnance of sin. This may also be seen as a reflection of the spiritual stagnation in which they lived. So after passing through, Dante and Virgil reach the ferry that will take them across the river Acheron, piloted by uh, Charon, 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 who doesn't want Dante to go since he's not, you know, dead. You're not allowed to go. Uh, But Virgil persuades him. I think he gives him a couple of coins and they get on the ferry. And Dante gets overwhelmed and he faints. And you'll see this happens a lot. He's kind of weak (laughs) constitution. (laughs) He didn't eat before he went down to hell. Uh. So So now we're in the first circle. We're in limbo. Okay. Dante wakes up to find that he has crossed the Acheron and Virgil leads him to the first circle of the abyss, limbo, where Virgil himself resides. Okay. Uh, The first circle contains the unbaptized and the virtuous pagans who, although not sinful, did not accept Christ. Uh, Dorothy L. Sayers once did a uh, analysis of the entire divine comedy Mm -hmm. and she wrote, after those who refused choice came those without opportunity of choice. They could not, that is, choose Christ. They could and did choose human virtue and for that they have their reward. In limbo, the guiltless damned are punished by living in a deficient form of heaven. It's basically the good place. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's nice, but like a little uncomfortable. I'm imagining the days there are very nice, but like a little too cold for like a short sleeve shirt. But if you wear a long sleeve shirt, you're like boiling, you know, you Uh can never get comfortable. Um, And if the food is fine, but it's not like delicious and you're always kind of like getting over a head cold. That's what I'm imagining this to be. Like it's uncomfortable, but you're not like I'm in torturous pain. It's just like, eh, it's fine. I'll see the Catholics. We got taught that limbo was where unbaptized babies went. Yep. And that's pretty much it. So it's just a bunch of babies. (laughs) All the time. Uncomfortable babies. Yeah. Well, also, Dante encounters a bunch of good but not righteous people in Limbo, such as the poets Homer, Ovid, and Lucan. And the philosopher. Why the poets got to go there with all I the don't babies? Know. I think you know what he and you'll see in the Inferno, like his political enemies <laughs> end up in like the worst parts of hell, and he uh-huh. like stops and talks to them and stuff. So yeah. it's like he had some ulterior okay. motives. Uh, the philosophers Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates are there as well. Um, what's interesting is that he also mentions a Muslim military leader named Saladin who lives there and he was known for his struggles against the crusaders, but was also known for his generous chivalrous and merciful conduct. So Dante put him in limbo, which I thought was interesting considering obviously Saladin was a Muslim person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, um, there's a lot of, there it's are like Mindy St. Clair in the good place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, he mixes his um, he mixes biblical people or like real mm-hmm. life people that he knows are in history and like Greek and Roman mythology okay. as well. So that's why like Charon is in there and there's giants and things. And so it's like a weird mix of fictional and nonfiction characters. Okay. So now they're moving into the second circle, okay. which is lust. Okay. Dante and Virgil leave Limbo, enter the second circle, the first of the circles of what's known as incontinence, where the punishment of hell proper begins. It is described as a part where no things gleam. 
Uh, they find uh, their way hindered by the serpentine Minos, who judges all of those condemned for active, deliberately willed sin to one of the lower circles. Minos sentences each soul to its torment by wrapping his tail around himself a corresponding number of times, which seems complicated. Mm. He could have just said it. Uh, <laughs> Virgil rebukes Minos and he and Dante continue on and in the second circle of hell are those overcome by lust these are those condemned for allowing their appetites to sway their reason these souls are buffeted back and forth by the terrible winds of a violent storm without rest uh, this symbolizes the power of lust to blow needlessly and aimlessly since lust involves mutual indulgence and is not therefore completely self-centered Dante deems it the least heinous of it the sins and its punishment is the most benign within hell proper. So this is, is it like all the, is it all sexual appetite uh, lust or is it like it's yes it's basically sexual appetite lust because he Dante meets and talks to several people real and fictional including like Cleopatra <laughs> Helen of Troy Achilles Tristan and Paris. Okay. So it's it's the the least of the of the worst. Okay. So like they're just being blown around by wind, um, without being able to stop and rest. So it doesn't sound great, but like given a choice, could be, could be worse. Could be worse. So then Dante faints again. Ugh. So Virgil drags his senseless body, uh, to the third circle, mm-hmm. which is gluttony. Okay. So in the third circle, the gluttonous wallow in a vile, putrid slush produced by a ceaseless, foul, icy rain, described as a great storm of putrefaction. This is punishment for subjecting their reason to a voracious appetite. Uh, Cerberus, described uh, in the poem as Il Gran Vermo, literally the great worm, uh, the monstrous three-headed beast of hell ravenously guards the gluttons lying in the freezing mire, mauling and flaying them with his claws as they howl like dogs. Um, Virgil obtains safe passage past the monster by filling its three mouths with mud. <laughs> so you go. He's like, Aah! and they move past, and now they're in the fourth circle, which is greed. You're getting a sense of the seven deadly mm-hmm, sins mm-hmm. here. That's purposeful. Uh, so the fourth circle is guarded by a figure Dante names as Pluto, and this is Plutus, the deity of wealth in classic mythology. Although the two are often conflated, um, he is a distinct figure figure from Pluto, yeah, uh, the classical ruler of the underworld. But um, that figure is described as Dis in this D I S. So he's basically Satan. Dis is Satan. Okay. Those whose attitude towards material goods are extreme are punished in the fourth circle. They include the miserly, including many clergymen and popes and cardinals who hoarded possessions and the prodigal who squandered them. Mm. So the hoarders and spendthrifts joust using as weapons great weights that they push with their chests. So um, Gustave Doré, who is a famous artist, he did he engraved an illustrated um, edition of the Divine Comedy, mm-hmm. and his illustrations are probably the ones that you imagine when you're thinking of the Divine Comedy. They're very, like, very beautiful, very highly detailed, and so he created kind of the visuals that are okay. most well-known with, um, with the poem. Cool. So Gustave Doré illustrated the circle where he depicts the weights as giant, heavy money bags. <laughs> and in the poem, the damned souls roll the weights at each other, like pushing them at each other, with one of them shouting, why do you hoard? While the other shouts, why do you waste? So they're in eternally in a oh, locked boy. battle between the ones who hoard their money and ones who waste their money. Wow. 
yeah. So now they're in the fifth circle, which is known as Wrath. In the swampy, stinking waters of the river Styx, the fifth circle, the actively wrathful fight each other viciously on the surface of the slime, while the sullen, the passively wrathful, lie beneath the water, withdrawn into a black sulkiness which can find no joy in God or man or the universe. Uh, This is the last circle of what's known as incontinence. The savage self-frustration of the fifth circle marks the end of that which had its tender and romantic beginnings in the dalliance of indulged passion. It's essentially saying that this is the last part of hell that depicts sin that started with good intentions. Okay. Um, In the distance, Dante perceives high towers that resemble fiery red mosques, and Virgil informs him that they are approaching the city of Dece, the city of Satan. Dece, itself surrounded by the Stygian Marsh, contains lower hell within its walls. Dece is one of the names of Pluto, the classical king of the underworld, as I mentioned before, um, in addition to being the name of the realm. So Dece represents in the poem Mm -hmm. both Satan and also the city of Dece. The walls of Dece are guarded by fallen angels. Virgil is unable to convince them to let Dante and he enter, and Dante is threatened by the Furies and Medusa. An angel sent from heaven secures entry for those poets, opening the gates by touching it with a wand and rebukes those who oppose Dante. So they're like, here you go. Bing. Bing. Go ahead. Go in. So the sixth circle. The first circle within the city of Dece. Okay. Uh, It's heresy. In the sixth circle, heretics such as Epicurus and his followers, who say the soul dies with the body, are trapped in flaming tombs. Uh, Dante holds discourse with a pair of Epicurean Florentines in one of the tombs, uh, but this gets into a mess of Florentine politics at the time, having to do with what was called the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. And I, I mean, there's a lot of that. He runs into either a Guelph or a Ghibelline in almost any, every circle okay and it's very complicated it's it's a specifically northern italian complicated medieval issue but essentially at the time the guelphs which dante identified himself as supported the papacy while the ghibellines supported the holy roman empire okay that's basically it um this topic like as i had mentioned is sprinkled throughout the comedy and many scholars have pointed out how dante had put many of his political enemies in the various parts of hell so the seventh circle is violence. Okay. The seventh circle is divided into three rings and it houses the violent. Uh, Dante and Virgil descend a jumble of rocks that had once formed a cliff to reach the seventh circle from the sixth circle, having first to evade the Minotaur at the sight of them. The Minotaur gnaws his own flesh. Uh, Mm. Virgil assures the monster that Dante is not his hated enemy, Theseus, and this causes the Minotaur to charge them as Dante and Virgil swiftly enter the seventh circle. It's really, Hmm. there's a lot. It's like an adventure story. Okay. But like terrifying. So the first ring is violence against neighbors. In the first round of the seventh circle, the murderers, war makers, plunderers, and tyrants are immersed in phlegathon, a Mm. river of boiling blood and fire. As they wallowed in blood during their lives, so they are immersed in the boiling blood forever, each according to the degree of his guilt centaurs patrol the ring shooting arrows into any sinners who emerge higher out of the boiling blood than each is allowed the centaur nessus guides the poets along phlegathon and points out several violent leaders including alexander the great and someone named dionysus either dionysus one or dionysus two or both they were they were at the time bloodthirsty unpopular tyrants of sicily Hmm. Um, ring two is violence against self 
The second round of the seventh circle is the wood of the suicides, which in which the souls of the people who attempted or committed suicide are transformed into gnarled thorny trees and then fed upon by harpies, hideous clawed burrs with the faces of women, as you know. Yeah. Uh, the trees are only permitted to speak when broken and bleeding. Oh and my. at one point, Dante wants to talk to somebody. So he's like, he like cracks off a, a twig and, uh-huh. and asks a question because he needed to like hurt it in order wow. to get it to talk. Okay. Yeah. Um, the harpies and the characteristics of the bleeding bushes are based on book three of, of the Aeneid, apparently. Mm. And according to Sayers, the sin of suicide is an insult to the body. So here the shades are deprived of even the semblance of the human form. As they refuse life, they remain fixed in a dead and withered sterility. They are the image of the self-hatred which dries up the very sap of energy and makes all life infertile. Mm. Uh, the trees can also be interpreted as a metaphor for the state of mind in which suicide is committed. So they make their way through the, through the wood. Wow. Wood of suicides. Now we're in uh, ring three, which is violence against God, art, and nature. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of sins. Uh, the third round uh, is a great plain of burning sand, scorched by great flakes of flame falling slowly down from the sky. kind of like hell. Yes. It's what, what, it's what you imagine <laughs> hell to be. That's what this is. Uh, the blasphemers, the violent against God, are stretched supine upon the burning sand. While the sodomites, the violent against mm-hmm. nature, mm-hmm. run in circles. While the usurers, the violent against art, crouch huddled and weeping. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so the poets are making their way across the burning sands. They begin to hear the waterfall that plunges over the great cliff into the eighth circle. So at the top of the falls, at Virgil's order, Dante removes a cord from around his waist and Virgil drops it over the edge. Okay. And as if an answer, a large distorted shape swims up through the filthy air of the abyss. This creature is Geryon, the monster of fraud. Virgil announces that they must fly down from the cliff on the monster's back. Uh, Geryon is a monster with the general shape of a wyvern, which is basically a dragon. Okay. Um, But with the tail of a scorpion, hairy arms, a gaudily marked reptilian body, and the face of a just and honest man. Uh, the pleasant human face on this grotesque body evokes the insincere fraudster whose intentions behind the face are all monstrous, cold-blooded, and stinging with poison. Uh, Doré um, illustrated this. It's terrifying. Like, oh, it's sure. got, like, a nice, handsome man face, big, handsome man face, and then, like, this creepy body, and they're, like, riding on the back, like, like um, in... Um, Harry Potter. Well, I wasn't going to say Harry Potter. <laughs> By the way, I started reading Harry Potter. Yeah. I, I'm like in it at 32 years old. I started reading Harry Potter. Great. That's good. You're in the first book still. Yeah, I'm still in the first It's book. slow. The, fir- the first couple ones, when it's you go fun. back and read them after you've read all the rest of them, you're like, oh yeah, this was about an 11 year old boy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just about an 11 year old boy. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I was thinking of um, Never Ending Story. Oh, it was too scary for me. Really? It was too scary for you? Yeah. But you saw the Harry Potter movies? Never ending story was when I was like four years old. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, it's too scary for a four year old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. What's the What's the character's name? Val. Falcor. Yes. Fal. F A L C O R. Falcor. Yeah, I love that. Falcor. 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 Um. Okay. Falcor riding on that big luck dragon. Okay. Uh, the eighth circle. We're getting down deep. So close. So close. The eighth circle is fraud. Okay. Uh, Dante now finds himself uh, in the eighth circle, which is called Malibulge. What's which, that? 
It means evil ditches. Oh my gosh. I know, right? Uh, So the upper half of the hell of the fraudulent and malicious. So they're saying insurance fraud is worse than murdering your neighbor. Well, um, (laughs) yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know what? If we were in the, if we were in the, uh, the Inferno Insurance Company. Yes. This is where we would go. Okay. So keep that in mind. Uh, it is a large funnel of stone shaped like an amphitheater. Okay. Around which run a series of 10 deep, narrow, concentric ditches or trenches called bulge. Singular bulge, yeah. Um, within these ditches are punished those guilty of simple fraud. From the foot of the great cliff to the well, which forms the neck of the funnel, are large spurs of rock like umbrella ribs or spokes, which serve as bridges over the 10 ditches. Okay. So we'll talk about the individual bulges real quick. Bulge one, panderers and seducers. These sinners make two files, one along either bank of the ditch and march quickly in opposite directions. So like in a circle, they Mm -hmm. march around. Um, while being whipped by horned demons for eternity, they deliberately exploited the passions of others and so drove them to serve their own interests, are themselves driven and scourged. Uh, Bolgia too is flatterers. These are also exploited other people, this time abusing and corrupting language to play upon others' desires and fears. They are steeped in excrement, representative of the false flattery as they told on earth, as they howl and fight amongst themselves. Bolgia three, simoniacs. Dante now forcefully expresses his condemnation of those who's committed simony or the sale of ecclesiastical favors and offices and therefore made money for themselves out of what belonged to God. Like indulgences. Like indulgences. Exactly. Uh, The sinners are placed head downward in a round tube-like holes within the rock, which are displaced mockeries of baptismal fonts uh, with flames burning the soles of their feet. And the heat of the fire is proportioned to their guilt. Okay. So there you go. Uh, Bolgia four is sorcerers. Uh, in the middle of the bridge of the fourth Bolgia, Dante looks down at the souls of fortune tellers, diviners, astrologers, and other false prophets. The punishment of those who attempted to usurp God's prerogative by prying into the future. Uh, their punishment is to have their heads twisted around on their bodies. In this horrible contortion of the human form, these sinners are compelled to walk backwards for eternity, blinded by their own tears. So their their punishment, again, this poetic justice is that because you tried to look forward you're always going to look backwards yeesh yeah that's fucked up all right gets worse bulge five barriters uh they are corrupt politicians who made money by trafficking in public office basically the political analog of the simoniacs Mm. um they are immersed in a lake of boiling pitch or tar which represents the sticky fingers and dark secrets of their corrupt deals they are guarded by demons called the Malabranch, or evil claws, who tear them to pieces with claws and grappling hooks if they catch them above the surface of the pitch. <laughs> Bolgia six is hypocrites. Um, so the poets escape the pursuing Malabranch by sliding down the sloping bank of the next pit. And here they find the hypocrites listlessly walking around a narrow track for eternity, weighted down by leaden robes. The robes are brilliantly gilded on the outside and are shaped like a monk's habit. The hypocrite's outward appearance shines brightly and passes for holiness, but under that show lies the terrible weight of his deceit, Mm. a falsity that weighs them down and makes spiritual progress impossible for them. Uh, A friar named Catalano points out Caiaphas, the high priest under Pontius Pilate who counseled the Pharisees to crucify Jesus for the public good. Uh, He himself is crucified to the floor of hell by three large stakes and is in such a position that every passing sinner must walk upon him. (laughs) 
Yeah, he must suffer upon Oof. his body the weight of all the world's hypocrisy. That's a tough way to go. Yikes. It's not getting any lighter, folks. So, Bulger 7. All right. Thieves. This pit is filled with monstrous reptiles. The shades of thieves are pursued and bitten by snakes and lizards who curl themselves about the sinners and bind their hands behind their backs. The full horror of the thieves' punishment is revealed gradually. Just as they stole other people's substance in life, their very identity becomes subject to theft here. One sinner, who reluctantly identifies himself as Ivani Fucci, is bitten by a serpent at the jugular vein, bursts into flames, and is reformed from the ashes like a phoenix. Which sounds, I mean, I know we're in hell right now, but that's kind of metal. Was this like the kid that bullied him in school? Yeah. And now he's, <laughs> he's named a character after him. You know what? Probably. Because no one knows, like, it, in, when I was doing my research, no one knows who Vani Fucci is. Like, they're like, oh, whatever. He was probably somebody, like, popular at the time that doesn't have any. But no, you're probably right. It was probably, like, little 10-year-old Dante Alighieri was like, Vani Fucci, I am going to get you later. Oh, it's going to be so good. All right, almost done. Bulge 8, Counselors of Fraud. Dante addresses a passionate lament to Florence before turning to the next Bulge. Here, fraudulent advisors or evil counselors move about hidden from view inside individual flames. So they each have their own like. Are these lawyers? Ooh, yeah, I think they are. (laughs) These are not people who gave false advice, but people who use their position to advise others to engage in fraud. Yeah, this is the lawyer. This is the lawyer one. (laughs) Yeah. So they get their own individual flames. Okay. And you can move around, but you're constantly burning. Okay. Which sounds right for lawyers. I mean, we have lawyer friends. Do we? Maybe. Maybe. Our friend Siobhan is a lawyer. Oh, She's okay. nice. But she does good stuff. Anyway, lawyers burn in hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Uh, Bulge 9. These are the sowers of discord. Ooh. We know so, some of those, too. Yeah, we know some of those. Uh, the sowers of discord are hacked and mutilated for all eternity by a large demon wielding a bloody sword. Their bodies are divided as in life their sin was to tear apart what God had intended to be united. These are the sinners who are ready to rip up the whole fabric of society to gratify a sectional egotism. Um, these souls must drag their ruined bodies around the ditch, their wounds healing in the course of the circuit, only to have the demon tear them apart anew. So they're constantly being like chopped up. Then they got to drag their bodies as they heal. They're like, oh, okay, I feel better. And then the demon comes by and is like, skah, 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 skah. so if you're a demon, yeah. you're making good money. Oh, you're making great money. In this money. circle. Just chopping people up. And you know yeah. what? I feel like you can really express your creativity that way. Yeah. Like you got... So you got like, um, I don't know, Gianni. Mm-hmm. Gianni's a sower of discord. He comes around. You're like, this time I'm going to do one arm, one leg, but on the same side. Ooh. So it's real good. hard for him to move it's around. All, yeah. Yeah. It's all lopsided. Exactly. And I bet, you know what? That moves you up in the demon, like your employee <laughs> yeah. of the your month. creativity really, uh, exactly. you get a chance to shine in this circle. <laughs> so, um, these sowers of discord are divided into three categories, religious schism and discord, civil strife and political discord, and family disunion or discord between kings, kinsmen. Hmm. But they all get chopped up in, the, in different <laughs> ways. Um, the final bulja, bulja 10, is falsifiers, uh, a disease on society. They are themselves afflicted with different types of afflictions, horrible diseases, stench, thirst, filth, darkness, and screaming. Uh, some lie prostrate while others run hungering through the pit, tearing others to pieces. All right. 
So Ninth Circle. It's a demon's job. It's a demon's job. But you know what? It, it's a it's really like it's a it's an amalgamation, it's a smorgasbord mm. of torture. Mm. Okay. As one could say. So now we're getting into the ninth circle. Treachery. Dante and Virgil approach the central well at the bottom of which lies the ninth and final circle. They encounter classical and biblical giants who perhaps symbolize pride and other spiritual flaws lying behind the acts of treachery. They stand guard inside the well pit, their legs embedded in the banks of the ninth circle, while their upper halves rise above the rim and can be visible from the malabolge. Uh, at Virgil's persuasion, one of them takes the poets into his large palm and lowers them gently to the final level of hell. So um, the final level of hell is cold. And uh, there's a reason behind that, which I will it's get to in a moment. It's cold or it feels cold? It feels cold. That is the temperature. I apologize. I know I've been tossing around a lot of strange words. Um, so at the base of the well, Dante finds himself within a large frozen lake, which is known as the Cocytus, the ninth circle of hell. Trapped in the ice, each according to his guilt, are punished sinners guilty of treachery against those with whom they had special relationships. The lake of ice is divided into four concentric rings or rounds of traitors corresponding in order of seri seriousness to betrayal of family ties, betrayal of community ties, betrayal of guests, and betrayal of lords. Uh, this is in contrast to the popular image of hell as fiery, as I had mentioned before, um, as an analyst of uh, the poem whose name was Chiardi wrote at one point, the treacheries of these souls were denials of love, which is God and of all human warmth. Only the remorseless dead center of the ice will serve to express their natures as they denied God's love. So are they furthest removed from the light and warmth of his son. As they denied all human ties, so are they bound only by the unyielding ice. Uh, this final deepest level of hell is reserved for traitors, betrayers, and oath breakers. And Isn't it's, it? Go ahead. It's, a, it's most famous inmate is Judas Iscariot. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. I can see that example. Yeah. But isn't it not funny, but in, in contrast to maybe what we learn that like murder is the worst thing you can do. Oh, yeah. It's not the worst thing in, in this. No, it's not. And what's interesting is that so there's the incontinent area. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that violence while bad and you should go to hell for that if you are violent with n without thinking mm -hmm. like if you're if it's like a passion yeah killing okay you're second degree murder second degree murder you know it's a little less terrible than someone who is actively and thoughtfully evil okay so someone who is a so traitor. So someone who is very evil would be considered treacherous. Yes, would be okay. considered treacherous. Yep. So the first round, the icy round, uh, is called the Kaina. It's the, named How's after spelled? Uh, C A I N A, okay. and the I has a umlaut over it. Okay. Um, this round is named after Cain, who killed his own brother in the first oh, act of murder. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this round houses the traitors to their kindred, and they have their necks and heads out of the ice and are allowed to bow their heads, allowing some protection from the freezing wind. Hmm. So round two is called the Antonora. This second round is named after Antonor, a Trojan soldier who betrayed his city to the Greeks. Uh, here lies the traitors to their country those who committed treason against political entities, such as parties, cities, or countries. They have their heads above the ice, but they cannot bend their necks. The poets then see two heads frozen in one hole. Here we go. Oof. 
one one gnawing the nape of the other's neck. Oh, so this was okay. the very. This wow, is so what you. So this proves you read all the way to the oh, end. Oh yeah, I, this uh-huh. really imprinted on me. Uh huh. Um, there also the Gustave Doré image of this is vivid. Oh, okay. Um, so the gnawing sinner tells his story. He is Count Ugolino, and the head he gnaws belongs to Archbishop Ruggieri. In the most pathetic and dramatic passage of the Inferno, Ugolino describes how he conspired with Ruggieri in 1288 to oust his nephew and take control over the Guelphs of Pisa. However, as soon as Nino was gone, the archbishop, sensing the Guelphs' weakened position, turned on Ugolino and imprisoned him with his sons and grandsons in the Torre dei Gualandi. In March 1289, the archbishop condemned the prisoners to death by starvation in their tower. And there is a... um, Semi-famous, not as not as famous as the Laocoon, but a semi-famous um, statue of Ugolino surrounded by his sons. And he's like gnawing on his own fingers and his sons are like begging him. And the reason why it's depicted that way, because in the story of this, apparently his sons were like, no, dad, eat me. We want you to live. And he was like, no, I don't want to eat my sons. So it was very, <laughs> it's awful. It was really bad. So um, they're both sentenced to gnawing on each other. Huh. In the uh, ice of hell, so they the, take turns. Uh, no, I think who who Are Ugolino they, they gnawing simultaneously. No, Ugolino, the one who uh, was condemned to starve, um, he's gnawing on the archbishop who condemned him to starve. Okay. Right. So the archbishop gets an extra little pop of horror. Okay, by being gnawed on by the man he sentenced to death. All right. So that's, you know, poetic yeah. justice. There you go. Uh, so round three is called the Ptolemaea. Uh, this third region is named after Ptolemy, who invited his father-in-law, Simon Maccabeus, and his sons to a banquet and then killed them. This is a story that is in the Maccabees. Oh. Uh, traitors to their guests lie supine in the ice while their tears freeze in their eye sockets, sealing them with small visors of crystal. Even the comfort of weeping is denied them. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, so finally, round four is Judica, the fourth division, named for Judas Iscariot, contains the traitors to their lords and benefactors. Upon entry into this round, Virgil says, the banners of the king and of hell draw closer. Judica is completely silent. All of the sinners are fur- fully encapsulated in ice, distorted and twisted in every conceivable position. The sinners present an image of utter immobility. It is impossible to talk with any of them. So Dante and Virgil quickly move on to the center of hell. It's like Lord of the Rings style, like Grim a Worm Tongue would yes. be there. Gr- yes, Grim a Worm Tongue would definitely be very safely and painfully encased in the ice of the cactus. Mm-hmm. Great. So here we go. We're at we're with the big we're with the final boss. Here we are. Here we go. In the very center of hell, condemned for committing the ultimate sin, personal treachery against God, is the devil, referred to Virgil as Dees. The arch-traitor, Lucifer, was once held by God to be fairest of the angels before his pride led him to rebel against God, resulting in his expulsion from heaven. Lucifer is depicted as a giant, terrifying beast trapped waist-deep in the ice, fixed and suffering. He has three faces, each a different color, one red, the middle, one a pale yellow, the right, and one black, the left. All interpretations recognize that these three faces represent a fundamental perversion of the Trinity. Uh, Satan is impotent, ignorant, and full of hate in contrast to the all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving nature of God. Uh, Lucifer retains his six wings. Uh, He originally belonged to the angelic order of seraphim, 
um, which have six wings, but they are now dark, bat-like, and futile. The icy wind that emanates from the beating of Lucifer's wings only further ensure his own imprisonment in the frozen lake. He weeps from his six eyes and his tears mix with... Six eyes? He has six eyes. Well, yeah, because he's got three faces. Oh. Two for six. Okay. I'm... (laughs) (laughs) I'm picturing him stacked on top of one another. Oh, yeah, like a a fly or a spider. Spiders have six eyes. Or eight eyes. Eight eyes. Eight eyes. Eight eyes. Uh, So he weeps from those eyes. (laughs) So his three faces. On his three faces, he weeps from them. Uh, And his tears mix with bloody froth and pus as they pour down his three chins. Well, you'll see why there's bloody froth and pus. Uh, Each face has a mouth that chews eternally on a prominent traitor. Okay. Marcus Junius, Brutus, and Gaius Cassius Longinus dangle with their feet in the left and right mouths, respectively, for their involvement in the assassination of Julius Caesar. Okay. Uh, an act which to Dante represented the destruction of a unified Italy and the killing of the man who is divinely appointed so to they're govern not the over world. It. The Italians oh, are not over it. The Italians point. are still not over it. Can I tell you? <laughs> so he was like, you know what? I'm going to put these two sons of bitches right in Satan's mouth. So in the central, if you're going to keep talking about pus, can you give us? Can you give a? You want me to a, give a little a queasy, a queasy, queasy warning? Well, unfortunately, that's my last mention of pus. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well no that it good good yeah that is the last time i will speak of pus <laughs> um so in the central most vicious mouth okay is judas iscariot okay. the apostle who betrayed christ uh judas is receiving the most horrifying torture of of the three traitors his head is gnawed inside lucifer's mouth while his back is forever flayed and shredded by lucifer's claws so that's a pretty good Does he have six arms too uh, no, he just has the three faces. He's got two arms. Three faces, six wings, two arms. Yeah, three faces, six <laughs> eyes, six wings, two arms. No legs because he's embedded in the ice. Well, he does have legs, but they're embedded in the ice. You can't okay. see them. Yeah. So, so, so Lucifer, so here's the thing. Like the three traitors are being gnawed by something that is being tortured. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's like double, double bad. That's double like, jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, double jeopardy. So he's just being like, it's just gross. So finally they're like, how you doing? That's enough. So at about 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, Virgil and Dante begin their escape from hell. How, many, cl- how long has this journey been? This is like three days. Oh. Yeah. It's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then then they wake up. Easter Sunday, they get they get to purgatory. Okay. So it's like three days Three days, four nights. Too bad. It's not terrible. They've seen a lot of things. Yeah, they've seen a lot. I mean, they're they're moving pretty quickly. They got places to be. Um, So yeah, 6 p.m. on Saturday (laughs) evening, Virgil and Dante begin their escape from hell by clambering down Satan's ragged fur feet first. Uh, When they reach Satan's genitalia, the poets pass through the center of the universe and, and, (laughs) and of gravity from the northern hemisphere of land to the southern hemisphere of water. So he... So... And it's interesting because they're clambering down and then the, because the earth is round, they have to start climbing up technically because okay. they're going up and around. Uh-huh. And at one point Dante's like, no, we're climbing back into hell because we're climbing up now. Oh yeah. And Virgil was like, take it easy, man. I know what's, what's happening. Just chill out. Um, so Virgil goes on to explain how the Southern hemisphere was once covered with dry land, but the land recoiled in horror to the North when Lucifer fell from heaven and was replaced by the ocean. Okay. So really, it's only like the nine semicircles of hell. Is it like, is it like this, and then it's water? Uh, no, because the water's on the outside. 
Water, the ocean is, is on the outside of the earth. So what happens is when he fell, there used to be dry land here, mm-hmm. but they're like, get away. So now it's just ocean. Do you see what I'm saying? I think I don't know what the circles look like. <laughs> no, they're circles like this. So I know I, I'm sorry, guys. Like we're, it's hard to describe. So it's like a, a funnel. Okay. And then, and then oh, Lucifer's at the okay. bottom and the circles run around the outside. So it's like, a funnel. It's like a funnel. Yes. That makes more, that yeah. visually makes more sense. Yeah. So it's, it's, you're descending down. Okay. And the circles are around the funnel. And then once you get out of the funnel tip, you're in the water. You're in the water. Yes, exactly. There we go. So again, the, the, the earth that Lucifer displaced yeah. created the mountain, which is purgatory. Um, so the poets finally emerge a little before dawn on the morning of Easter Sunday, which is April 10th, 1300 AD, beneath the sky studded with stars. Did and they have Scooby gear? They did not. They're, well, they reached the mountain. Oh. They crawled through the earth and now they're like, ah, oh, now we're on the mountain. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly enough, each of the three cantos, so, you know, hell, purgatory, heaven, each of those three cantos end with the same word, which is le stelle, which is stars. Okay. So it's kind of like... Um, That's interesting. Yeah. It's it's a cool little bit of trivia. Um, so then they climb purgatory, but I'm not going to talk about that because mm. we were just talking about Inferno. Mm. So that was my very <laughs> brief question mark. Not brief. Um, quiz, not quiz. So your Lauren, Lauren's notes on... My notes on the Inferno, Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Um, that's interesting because it's it mentions some of the seven deadly sins, yes. but not all of them. No, you're right. They don't. And I think they're kind of incorporated. I thought I knew where you were going. Yeah, yeah. And then you zagged. Yeah, zagged. When I thought you were going to zig. Yep. Because treachery is a big deal. And yeah. treachery was a big deal in Dante's time. Not that it isn't a big deal now, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's interesting that throughout time and space, there's different, like, what we consider to be very serious sins or yeah. crimes um now is what may have been different back mm. then depending on society at the time so it's interesting so you can be as jealous as you want because that's not part of the circles of hell nope and he's not a and he's not bad i guess <laughs> i guess you can be in heaven for that but have it ready yet wow so my quiz is going to be a bible quiz no i'm kidding, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding no <laughs> no no and it's not a bible quiz so um my quiz is called uh, Disco Inferno, a uh, quiz on disco. Question number one. The disco ball is a classic symbol of not only the music, but the entire decade of the 70s. But was it invented in the disco era? Question number two. Saturday Night Fever was a huge hit for its star, John Travolta, but it was also a huge hit for the band who provided the soundtrack. Name that band of brothers. Question number three. Speaking of Saturday Night Fever, what year, within five, did it come out? Question number four. I'm going to name four bands or musical artists, and you tell me if they have ever had a disco song. First, Donna Summer. Second, Kiss. Third, David Bowie. Or fourth, Joni Mitchell. Question number five. This mononymous disco hitmaker was openly gay and had a soaring falsetto voice thought to have influenced Prince's style of singing. His biggest hit was the ubiquitous You Make Me Feel, parentheses, Mighty Real. Can you name him? 
Question number six. Rick Dees, a radio DJ in Memphis, recorded a parody song of disco, which became a surprise huge hit. Don't quack it up. What was the name of the song? Question number seven. Studio 54 was the biggest and most exclusive nightclub of the disco era and is still currently open, although not a nightclub. What is Studio 54 today? Question number eight. What article of clothing was disco fashion favorite Diane von Furstenberg known for? Question number nine. The Bee Gees were probably the poster boys for disco, but they weren't always called that. What was their poisonous first band name? And finally, question number 10. I'm going to name four songs, and you're going to tell me if it's a Panic at the Disco song or something I made up. First, build God, then we'll talk. Second, I constantly thank God for Esteban. Third, Philosopher King, the Scourge of Halloween. Fourth, the only difference between martyrdom and suicide is press coverage. I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be back with answers. Question number one. (laughs) The disco ball is a classic symbol of not only the music, but the entire decade of the 70s. But was it invented in the disco era? No. You are correct. It was not. It was made in the 1920s. And more basic light reflecting decorations like that came even earlier. Even some reports from the Civil War era. Oh, can you picture Abe Lincoln? Just getting out. At a ball with a... Oh, yeah. He was tall. Can you imagine? Yeah. I bet he was like well, a good dancer. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, if you wear that stovepipe hat, I'm telling you. All right. Question number two. Saturday Night Fever was a huge hit for its star, John Travolta, but it was also a huge hit for the band who provided the soundtrack. Name that band of brothers. It's the, it's the Brothers Gib. Yeah, it is the Brothers it? Gib. It's the Bee Gees. From Down Under. Um, are they Australian or the yeah. British? Oh, they're Australian. Yeah. Uh... Saturday Night Fever was based on a 1976 New York article by British writer Nick Cohn called Tribal Rights of the New Saturday Night. Uh, He didn't understand the subculture he was assigned to write about, so he made the whole thing up and actually uh, admitted to it in the 1990s that Hmm. he just like made up the whole thing. Uh, Question number three, speaking of Saturday Night Fever, what year within five did it come out? I was going to say 78. Um, Yep, that's correct. It came out in 1977. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question number four, I'm going to name four bands or musical artists, and you tell me if they ever had a disco song, okay? One, Donna Summer. Now, see, I feel like this is a trick question. Don't think too much. 
Donna Summer. Donna Summer is like the queen of disco. Yeah. So, so yes. yes. Absolutely. Okay. Kiss. <sighs> yes. Yes, you are correct. It was a song called I Was Made for Lovin' You. No G. Is it a U, just a U? No, it's, it's spelled, spelled out. <laughs> Y-O-U, yeah. Uh, third, David Bowie. Yes. Yes. The song was called John, I'm Only Dancing, parentheses, again. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love it. Okay, uh, and fourth, Joni Mitchell. Why not? Yes. No, she Aww. did not. No. <laughs> I know. You had a good run, though. Okay, question number five. This mononymous disco hitmaker was openly gay and had a soaring falsetto voice, thought to have influenced Prince's style of singing. His biggest hit was the ubiquitous You Make Me Feel, parentheses, Mighty Real. Can you name him? Um, I, okay, my best guess is Liberace. No. Uh, his name was Sylvester. Just Sylvester. Uh, he was very gorgeous. He was very handsome. Uh, he was fabulously popular amongst the LGBTQ community in San Francisco. And he died of AIDS in 1988 when he was only 41, Ooh. which is very sad. Okay. I've never heard of him. Yeah. It, it was, he was very popular in the seventies and had previously had some like local and small time hits in like blues and mm, like okay. R and B and that kind of thing. So he was very like niche. Your dad um, is going to hate this quiz. By oh, the way. he's going to hate it. Oh, my dad hates disco so much. <laughs> I cannot wait to get the texts from him. He's going to be like, what is stupid disco? Um, <laughs> question number six. Rick Dees, a radio DJ in Memphis, recorded a parody song of disco, which became a surprise huge hit. Don't quack it up. What was the name of this song? Try your luck. Don't be a cluck. Disco, 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 duh. <laughs> You're right. It was Disco Duck. Uh, so, I don't think I've ever actually heard the song. Oh, well. So my dad um, always had cassette players in his truck. Oh, sure. And we had like six cassettes. Sure. And so, well, he would also like record AM radio and listen <laughs> to that too. But that's besides the yeah. point. So like three of the cassettes were like train songs. So <laughs> like, you know, uh, Chattanooga Choo Choo yeah. and Pennsylvania 6, 5,000 and all those <laughs> ones. Okay. Yeah. But then... Two of the other two of the other ones were Ray Stevens. Okay. So King of the He was the 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 uh early predecessor to Al, Al, Weird Al. Oh, yes. So okay. um he <laughs> the song that Bobby learned first was The Day the Squirrel Went Berserk in the first South Baptist Church <laughs> in the squeaky little town of Pascagoula. I have never heard that song oh, before in my life, and I'm you're in for a treat. I feel like I've been and I've really been then the other cassette he had was like you know parody songs so like i lost on jeopardy okay and disco duck disco duck. and yep. stuff like that so well uh, then yep. you were the right person to ask mm -hmm. huh what a thing there's a whole world of music that i have not had oh, my eyes open to i can't wait to play <laughs> to play you <laughs> to when play this for me went berserk great thank you mm -hmm. um rick d's also had a less popular song called disgorilla Ugh. Yeah. Um, Rick, uh, Rick D's had a band. It was known as Rick D's and his cast of idiots. So there you go. Fair enough. Uh, question number seven. Studio 54 was the biggest and most exclusive nightclub of the disco era and is still currently open, although not a nightclub. What is Studio 54 today? How about a uh, hair salon? Um, uh, that is a good guess, but it is a Broadway theater, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Since November 1998, it serves as a venue for productions of the Roundabout Theater Company. Uh, there is also a 
nightclub and restaurant in the basement. Okay. Um, but not nearly as popular as it used mm-hmm. to be. Okay. There's still glitter and oh, cocaine yeah. just embedded. embedded in the walls and floors. <laughs> Couldn't get, you can't get that out. Can't get it out. <laughs> Question number eight. What article of clothing was disco fashion favorite Diane von Furstenberg known for? That is the wrap dress. It is the wrap dress. She still, to this day, is designing. She still owns DVF, Diane von Furstenberg. And in every season, spring, summer, fall, winter, and resort, always has at least two styles of wrap dress. Because if it's not broke, broke, don't fix it. Okay. Question number nine. The Bee Gees were probably the poster boys for disco, but they weren't always called that. What was their poisonous first band name? Well, I don't know. I bet my mom knows. She had the biggest crush on Andy Gibb. Oh, that was yeah, her first. So that handsome. was her first celebrity crush. And then he like, died. Yeah, Ooh, early, like early. age eighteen or oh something. My God, so yeah. bad. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Um, they were known as the Rattlesnakes. Oh, okay. Which doesn't really like. I feel like the Bee Gees is better. You know, yeah. brothers Gibb, you're good. Mm-hmm. Good to go. Um, the twins were like very not good looking though. Robin and what was the other one? Barry. Barry and Maurice. And yeah, Maurice. Maurice mm-hmm. had the beard and yeah, he was a lead singer, tall and handsome. Um, but yeah, the twins did not get the looks of the Gibb family. May they rest. Okay. Question of one left. There might be one I left. Think Mo- I think Maurice is still alive. Yeah. I could be wrong though. Uh, question number 10. I'm going to name four songs and you're going to tell me if it's a panic at the disco song or something I made up. These are all so weird. Good. <laughs> First, build God, then we'll talk. Real. Yes, that is real. Second, I constantly thank God for Esteban. Real? Yes. Do we know who Esteban is? No, it's not even mentioned in the song. (laughs) Uh, Third, Philosopher King, The Scourge of Halloween. I'm going to say false. False. Yes, I made that up. You Uh, know a Philosopher King, though. Or uh two. What'd you say? You know a Philosopher King. I do know a Philosopher King, and he is dumb. Uh, the only difference between martyrdom and suicide is press coverage. I'm going to say real. That is real. Yes. Good job. So that is Do they just, do they have like just a box of magnetic poetry and just throw it (laughs) at the refrigerator and come up with their song titles? Remember in like the mid 2000s, it was like fallout boy. It was panic at the disco. It was all those that were like, I keep them straight from the 2000s. I don't know the difference. Yeah. Well, there, there's not much difference, Uh, (laughs) but they, their song titles were like, not like long non sequiturs. It's just, but I I write the sins, not the tragedies. Yes. I write sins, not tragedies. And what's a, what's a fallout boy one? Something. It's a arms race. Oh yeah. This isn't a scene. It's an arms race. Whatever. It's dumb. And they're still doing it. Fall yeah. Out Boy is still doing it. They took a hiatus and then they're like, we're going to do yeah. We're going to keep Someone going. Someone I know likes that new album. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my topic <laughs> on Dante's I Inferno. I learned a lot because I never had to read it or r- saw it yeah. or anything. Oh, so also. Mm-hmm. I have some listener submitted trivia. So remember when we were talking about harmonic harmonicists. Harmonicists. We don't know if that's the real word, but we're going with it. Harmonicists. People who play the harmonica, solely the harmonica. And I was like, can we even name a famous harmonica player? So when that Turns when out. that episode aired, my dad texted me and he just wrote A bunch of names. He just at wrote you. Toots Thielmans. Lee Oscar. I said, what is this? He goes, harmonica players that just played harmonica, among others. I was like, thanks, Dad. So 
he so he gave me you know those are two people who who play the harmonica who play the harmonica also but apparently there's another so um we got a listener submitted trivia from a uh twitter follower whose name was wesley um and he mentioned uh stan musial yeah about that who was uh, a baseball player was one of the best hitters and also apparently a really good guy he played for the st louis cardinals st louis cardinals thank you um and apparently was just a a wicked harmonica player and and yeah how interesting so i was looking at the wikipedia page on stan musel yeah and it says he was noted for his harmonica playing including his rendition of take me out to the ball game and through the 1990s he frequently played the harmonica at public gatherings such as the annual baseball hall of fame induction ceremony oh. he also performed on hee haw he and in 1994 recorded 18 songs that were sold in tandem with a harmonica playing instruction booklet oh well then what a we gotta get on ebay we gotta get on ebay so uh, thank you very much to Wes for drawing attention to that. And uh, uh, please continue to give us listeners some of the trivia. <laughs> I'm sure I don't even have to prompt my father. Dad will continue. will always <laughs> text gonna me. You're going to get some more texts. Oh, I'm going to get more texts Other harmonica it. players that he remembered. Yeah. So I even just texted him to ask how to pronounce Stan Musial. <laughs> uh, and he was like, you're doing your podcast? So... Um, <laughs> Also, we have a listener submitted trivia from our uh, Facebook page. Yeah, we do. From a listener named Sarah E. Hi, Sarah. Woo! Hi, Sarah. Uh, she wrote listener submitted trivia? Question mark. No, Sarah. Yes. Put a period on please. that. Please. Because it's exclamation true. Exclamation point. Yeah, exclamation point, please. Maybe an Antara bang. <laughs> uh, she said, I just finished the Evil Plants episode, and one of the most shocking things I learned about Evil Plants is that corn can kill you. <gasps> one of my favorite grains. No! No! So from the book Wicked Plants, native people knew how to prepare corn by adding slaked lime or calcium hydroxide because without it, the niacin in corn cannot be absorbed. Oh. It isn't a problem unless corn is eaten by itself and makes up most of a person's diet. If that happens, the result is a severe niacin deficiency called pelagara. Pelagara. Uh, and then she goes, it gets better. The symptoms Oof. were the four Ds, dermatitis, dementia, diarrhea, and death, which could be the inspiration. <laughs> Those are, yeah, that's the four Ds. Don't you know the four Ds, Julia? <laughs> the four Cs are cut, color, clarity, <laughs> carrots. The four Ds. Der- dermatitis, dementia, diarrhea, and death. Which, can I tell you? That, those don't go together like you, dermatitis yeah like oh i'm itchy oh i can't remember things Ooh, my tummy hurts and then I'm, I'm dead, dead. so she said um that these could be the inspiration for myths of vampirism in dracula pale skin oh. that blisters in the sun insomnia from dementia inability to eat food and morbid appearance <gasps> and then she put six excl- exclamation points behind that so that's Great. where all the exclamation yeah. points went um, she said Palaga sickened 3 million Americans and killed 100,000 through the first half of the 1900s. Oh, my gosh. She's like, that's not that long ago is three exclamation points. <laughs> but as long as corn is eaten in a normal diet, there's no problem. Okay. So we Great. are safe. Great. So I can't eat too much corn because I might turn into a vampire. That's what I just learned. That's what I got out of that. <sighs> yeah. If you took out nothing else away from this episode, <laughs> eating too much corn makes you a vampire. Um so thank you very much to Sarah E. Thank on that. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you, Wesley. And thanks, Safe Tech. Yes. Thank you to those three people. And please continue to send us information. And Julia, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch oh, with us? Oh, yeah. 
You can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at misinfopod. You can find us on Facebook, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. And you can get us on our website, www.misinfopod.com. And from that website, you can also stream our episodes. That's where you can listen to us. You can also get us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or use our RSS feed with any podcast app that you prefer. So thank you for listening, guys. Thank you. Tell a friend. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Review and subscribe. Rate, Rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) Yes, please rate, review, (laughs) and subscribe. Uh, (laughs) Thank you again. And We'll catch uh, you next time. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.